Well, Romans 7, through 7, verse 7 through 25. We've got here some good news and some bad news. There's some bad news because it really does make us feel uncomfortable, some of the things that we read here. But there's a lot of encouragement in this passage as Paul details his struggle with sin and, and how he doesn't do the things he wants to do and he does the things that he doesn't want to do and, and the inner conflict that he feels. It's good to hear someone of the Apostle Paul's stature having the same struggle that any honest believer here would admit that they have. Struggle with sin, the inner conflict with sin. And he also points us to the Deliverer, Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in this passage as well. But it might be a little bit of a painful journey as we reflect upon what's being said here. It might turn the light in upon ourselves and we might see some things with which we're not so comfortable admitting about ourselves. So be prepared for that as we turn our attention to Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. In it we read, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, it not, it had, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would, have, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, you've probably heard the saying, know your enemy. 
It actually comes from the ancient Chinese military treatise, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And Know Your Enemy is really a truncated version of the point that Sun Tzu actually makes, which is, if you know both yourself and your enemy, you can win a hundred battles without jeopardy. It's an ancient Chinese proverb that has been adopted, and we still repeat it today. Now, in these verses before us this morning, Paul speaks of a battle, the, the inner conflict of the Christian life, and what he says here is vital in helping us to know ourselves and to know our enemy, and most importantly of all, to know our deliverer. Now, in verse 7, Paul asks a question. What shall we say? That the law is sin? Now that, that's a strange question to ask. Why would he be asking, is the law sin? Well, if you go back and look at the preceding verses, and even back into chapter 6, Paul has characterized the law in some negative ways. He has mentioned that it bars marriage to Christ, uh, having a relationship to Christ. It arouses sin, causes death, and impedes the life in the spirit. So the sooner we gain freedom from the law, the better. Paul sounds rather anti-law. And what we mean by law here is specifically the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. We might think he's anti-law. You might get the impression from his remarks that the law is responsible for both sin and death and therefore so detrimental in its influence that we should repudiate it altogether. Just get rid of the law. It's bad. We might get the impression that the law is our enemy. Now we can paraphrase Paul's question of verse 7 here by asking it in a little different way. Is the law our enemy? Is the law our enemy? Is it bad? Now Paul responds emphatically, by no means. May it never be. No way. Not at all. And then he then embarks on an explanation that reveals who the true enemy is. True enemy is sin. And the true enemy of sin dwells in us all. Sin is the enemy, not the law. And this enemy sin resides within us, causing great conflict. Now, as Paul relates to us his example here of the struggle that he goes through, uh, we see, just like Paul, that our relationship with the law, God's law, reveals some difficult truths about ourselves. So studying this passage helps us to understand ourselves, and it helps us understand our enemy. And it's all bound up in our relationship with God's law. I've given you three points there. There's a, an outline, hopefully, in your bulletin. Three things. The law exposes the enemy of sin. The law aggravates the enemy of sin. And finally, the law condemns the enemy of sin. Let's explore these three points for a few moments as we get to know ourselves and our enemy. First, the law, Paul tells us, exposes the enemy of sin. Paul exclaims, the law is good 
because the law exposes sin. Paul states there in verse 7, if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Now he's speaking more here, uh, more of a real uh, experience of conviction of sin. He's not just talking about sin in theory. You hear in our culture, a lot of people will say, you've heard it many times, and people are very fond of using this argument to defend their positions. Oh, everybody's a sinner. Nobody is perfect. One sin is just as bad as any other sin. And therefore, you, you shouldn't judge since you're a sinner too. Now, there is some truth in these statements, general truth, but they're theoretical in nature. They're not specific. They're not personal. So there's a difference between saying we're all sinners, we all fall short. There's a difference between that and saying I am an adulterer. I am a liar. I am a gossip. I am a drunkard. See, that's specific. That's personal. And the law that Paul has encountered is very specific and personal. He's being convicted of sin. It's, he's feeling it. He's experiencing the uncomfortable truth that he has broken the law. The classic biblical example is David, of course. After David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then conspired to murder her husband, Uriah the Hittite, he was going happily along in his life, abusing his power, you know, oblivious to any of anybody else's sufferings at his hand. Until one day he receives a visit from Nathan the prophet. And so Nathan comes and tells them this story about a rich man who had many flocks and herds. And there was a poor man in the same vicinity who had only one little ewe lamb that he treated like a pet. In fact, the, the Bible says that the lamb was like a daughter to the man. It literally says, like a daughter to the man. The rich man wanted to had some visitors in town and wanted to have a feast. And so instead of taking one of his many flocks and herds, he takes the poor man's ewe lamb and he serves it to his friend. And David is incensed at this, at this injustice. And Nathan turns to him and utters those fateful words, You are the man. You are the murderer. You are the one who has committed adultery. You have taken poor Uriah the Hittite's wife, and you've murdered him when you have many wives and you have everything at your disposal. And if that wasn't enough, God said, I would have given you more. So you completely, completely become the guilty party in this. And David, of course, is exposed by the law of God being applied to his life. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. The law applied exposes him as a sinner. Now Paul here uses his own example of covetousness. Paul was a very righteous man. We read that in the Bible. He claims it for himself. 
rather proudly. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, he kind of gives out his pedigree of, of his life and how he was uh, uh, the, the, one of the best Israelites around. And uh, in reference to the law, as to righteousness under the law, Philippians 3, 6 says, blameless. If you read the NIV, it might say something like, as to the self-righteousness of the law. It doesn't say that there. He says, as to righteousness, blameless. Paul was, a, was as good a person as you could get. But he was exposed. Because he had an outward conformity to the law. You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, for example, some are easier to claim adherence to than others. You know, I, I can honestly say that I've never committed murder. You know, I've never committed adultery outwardly. But what does Jesus say? When Jesus applied the law, he went and searched a little harder. He said, even if you've been angry with someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Even if you look lustfully at someone else, you've committed adultery in your heart. So when I see that law applied like that to my life, I'm a murderer. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm an adulterer as well. We've, we all have fallen short when the, law, the light of the law is turned on to us. And we see it made personal and applied in all of its depth like Jesus taught us. Helpful here to do this is the catechism. We have a great tool at our, our disposal that we, we neglect, but the larger catechism, we, we know a little bit about the shorter catechism. Uh, the larger catechism is great because it gives you more details when it starts delineating what the Ten Commandments are. It, it uh, gives one question about what is the commandment, the next question, what are the duties required in the commandment? And then what is forbidden by the commandment? I've given you the example of covetousness in the outline. What are the duties required in the tenth commandment? Thou shalt not covet. The duties required in the tenth commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor is that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that good which is his. That's more than just saying you shouldn't desire what someone else has. See, it searches a little bit deeper. And if you were to go and look at the ones on adultery or, or murder, for example, it would give you very clear details. And it's helpful because that is more how we see the law exposing us it's not just saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. It's looking at each law and saying, you know, I am not rejoicing that my neighbor is doing well. I wish that I had what he had, and, and I hate him for that. The sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are discontentment with our own estate. You know, I, I'm not happy with what I have. I want what someone else has. And I'm grieved that they're doing so well. You see how the law applied particularly exposes sin. Now, this is not a, you know, it doesn't seem like a good thing. 
it's very uncomfortable to be exposed by the law. And, it, and, it, and I think it's something that we should practice in our daily lives to continually examine ourselves by God's law. See how far short we fall. It's a good thing to do that. And we'll get to that in a moment. Let's move to the second point. I'll leave you hanging there for just a second. Secondly, not only does the law expose the enemy of sin, the law aggravates the enemy of sin. He says there in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. He says there that he was once alive apart from the law. And what he means there is that his life was going happily along. He was complacent and ignorant. Uh, he was moving forward in his life without thinking about the law at all. And he was quite satisfied with his life, kind of like David was before Nathan the prophet shows up. I was once alive apart from the law, but the law came alive or uh, when the law was ex exposing me, sin came alive and I died. Now what he's talking about there is our human nature, our sinful human nature. Ever since Adam and Eve, human beings have always been enticed by the forbidden fruit. You know, you can go walk down a, a, a hallway of a hundred doors and then you see one of those doors says, private, do not enter. And all of a sudden we have a desire to see what's behind that door. We don't want to be forbidden from doing anything we want to do. It's human nature. It's sinful human nature. In Augustine's confession, he talks about when he was a teenager. He was not a Christian. He was a pretty wild person. and He was hanging out with a, a gang of naughty adolescents, he says. And he shook a pear tree and stole its fruit. And he, he confesses that his motive was not that he was hungry because he just threw the pears to the pigs. He says, I stole something which I had in plenty and of much better quality. My desire was to enjoy not what I sought by stealing, but merely the excitement of thieving and the doing of what was wrong. Was it possible, he asks, to take pleasure in what was illicit for no reason other than that it was not allowed. See, when Paul understood what it meant to covet, he saw it everywhere. And it got stirred up and activated in his life. That's the difficulty with New Year's resolutions. You know, as soon as you say, you know, I'm going to set out this year and I'm going to do this, that, and this, or I'm not going to do this. That's usually what I'm saying. I'm going to not eat that and I'm going to try to lose weight. You know, that's the common one. And how often do we keep those resolutions for the whole year? It's because of our human nature. We forbid ourselves something, and it becomes all the more enticing to us. And God's law aggravates sin in that way. We don't want a God to tell us how to live our lives. We want to call the shots. We want to do what we want to do. And we don't like it when someone says, you can't do that. So the law aggravates sin. You see, more knowledge of our enemy's sin 
more knowledge of ourselves how we really are. We love sin and we run to it often just because it's forbidden. Well, the third thing that Paul tells us is that the law condemns the enemy of sin. He says in verse 10, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. The law exposes the sin and pronounces a judgment on it. The law says you are condemned. The law says you must die. That is the penalty of the law. Sin brings death. That's the ultimate condemnation, the ultimate penalty for sin. And that's your enemy. Sin is your enemy. And sin is out to kill you. Sin leads to death. And you are a sinner. And that tells you something about yourself. Know your enemy. Know yourself. Now this doesn't seem like a good thing, as I said before. But it is. It's a great thing to feel this uncomfortable and this exposed. To have yourself laying out there in all your shame. Because the law is not the enemy. The law is your friend. He says in verse 13... Did that, which is, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. To be seen to be sinful beyond measure. And what does Paul do? As he outlines in the following verses, how his sin has gotten the better of him. He says, who will deliver me? See, sin, or the law has exposed his sin. The law uh, has shown him that he loves to sin and his sin is just aggravated. And the law has shown him that he is condemned because of his sin and that is driving him to Jesus Christ. Who will deliver me? From the body of this death, this wretched man that I am, thanks be to God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to understand that we need to be delivered, and the law cannot deliver you. We try to think, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I can keep the law. No, you can't. You cannot be good enough to earn God's favor. You cannot be good enough to, to merit heaven, eternal life. You've got to be delivered from the sin that's in your heart, which the law exposes. Paul says in Galatians that the law is a tutor or a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It teaches us something about ourselves, something about our sin, and it tells you, look, you can't do it. You're a failure. You need uh, someone to rescue you, someone to deliver you, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. Back to the Heidelberg Catechism, 115, on the front of your bulletin. The longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. People like to say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
I agree with that, but I also say preach the law first to yourself. Really see how much you need Christ, and the law will drive you there, drive you into the arms of Jesus Christ, drive you to the good news that someone came and did it all for you, paid the penalty for your sin, fulfilled the law on your behalf. He's the one that we should run to. And I want to encourage you today, as you think about yourself, your life, and your own sin, don't push that away, but realize there's, a, there's an answer. There's a deliverer. There's one to rescue you, and he's, the, and he's Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that all of us here today would, would recognize ourselves as the sinners that we are. Lord, don't hold back from exposing our sin in all of its sordid details so that we might be driven to the Savior and we might be broken of our pride and our self-righteousness and our willful disobedience and to come humbly bowing the knee to you, to, to Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.